Well, Pastor Clint had them sing a song a second time, and I thought, well, that's great. Um, maybe we could take another offering or something. <laughs> you know, as I uh, uh, shared with some people that I was going to be speaking this morning, sometimes people say, well, aren't you nervous? And I kind of blow it off like, yeah, a little bit. But uh, l- let me tell you what nervous is, okay? Well, first of all, definition of nervous is uh, uh, emotionally tense, uh, restless, or full of fear. <clears throat> okay, so this is, this is really nothing. So... Uh, a lifetime ago, like 40 years ago, I was a police officer. I know you look at me and you say, I know, Barney Fife comes to mind, but never mind. Um, so, um, did it differently 40 years ago. I took a civil service test, I interviewed, they gave me the job, and until there was an opening at the academy in Grand Island, Nebraska, where I was an officer, um, they would train me on, on the job. So, uh, we're doing some on-the-job training and uh, riding with a sergeant, and he's teaching me how to do traffic stops. Like, pull that car over there, and I pull it over, and it's the dispatcher. You know, I mean, okay, so the time comes. They put me in a car, and they say, just drive around. Don't do anything, just drive around. Now, mind you, um, they've given me a badge, a gun, my bullet's in my pocket like Barney. Um, I've got a bulletproof vest. I said, I was going to run. Nobody's going to shoot me, okay? Um, so here I am, I'm riding around in the car, and then Sergeant Richards calls me, and he says, uh, hey, I saw this car pull out of an alley. He says, just pull him over, see what he was doing. So, all right, I'm all trained, so when you stop a car, uh, let's see, I'm going to call in his license plate number. Uh, as soon as I go past that last traffic sign, I'm going to know exactly where I'm at, so I'm going to call this in, uh, and uh, okay, so I'm all set. I flip my lights on. And the guy pulls over wrong because he does it right away. I didn't even get to follow him. So I'm not sure what street I'm on. I haven't called in my license plate yet. Okay, my heart's pounding. I'm trying to read his plate because I pulled up too far. And uh, <clears throat> okay, and I'm trying to think what license plate I'm on. And, and the, the conversation kind of goes like, uh, I'll give you my professional voice, 712 Gearing PD. That was my badge number. Um, but really, I think it came through like, 712 Gearing PD. <laughs> and the dis- dispatcher says, go ahead, 712. Uh, I'll be 10 six traffic with, uh, I can't read the license number. <laughs> and I'm not sure where I'm at. <laughs> I am so nervous. Okay, my first stop. So I get all done. I get out of the car and I start to walk over there and I look back and my car is moving. <laughs> I was, I'm not kidding you, I was so nervous I forgot to put my car in park. <laughs> I'm running back to my car, but before I can get there, the car bumps into the other car, and now I have to call, and now I have to call in that there's an accident. <laughs> All right, that was nervous, okay? <laughs> All right, I'm nervous. <laughs> but I'll share with you the honor of opening God's Word to our church exceeds that. So this morning as we open God's Word, it's a thrill for me. Uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, or Acts 2, okay, I, yeah, I didn't study that one, Acts chapter 4. <clears throat> All right, we're getting down there, okay? Acts chapter 4, verse 32 through 37 is where we're going to start. But before we get there, I want to tell you, it's so important as we look at this part of the passage to know how and why we got there. So in chapter 3, this lame man is healed. But in chapter 4, there's still a conflict going on. 
and the high priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees. Uh, you know who the Sadducees are? They're the guys that don't believe in the resurrection. And that's very sad, you see. Okay, so you can remember that. Okay, all right, that was bad. Um, all right. So in chapter 4, starting verse 1, we get these, the religious leaders, and they call in Peter and John. And they're telling them, like, guys, you got to quit preaching the resurrection. We don't like to hear this message, okay? And they're offended by it. In fact, oh, man, I can't believe they did this. They, call, they look them in the eye and they say, by whose authority and by whose power have you done this? Now, I've said to my class before, and I know we answered them respectfully. I don't know how he answered them without pointing his finger because he says, I've done it in the name and in the power of Jesus who, here it comes, you crucified, and this man was healed. And here stood this lame man that had been healed in chapter 3, and he's standing there like on exhibit. And if it was me, if I had been the lame guy, I'd have probably been doing like this. <laughs> hey, guys, I haven't stopped yet. You know, I've been, I've been healed. They don't know what to do with these guys. All right? I mean, they can't do anything bad because the whole, the whole town is still amazed at what's going on, and they're talking about it. So what they do is they say, stop preaching the resurrection, all right? I mean, this is so offensive to them. They, they don't believe it. They don't want any part of it. So they order them. They threaten them to stop preaching. Well, you know, I drove by a farm the other, yesterday, and, uh, and my grandson was with me, and we laughed at how those pigs were so dirty in the mud. They could have sooner told a pig not to wallow in mud as to tell Peter and John to stop preaching the gospel because they're going to keep pe preaching no matter what. It was so in them. It was so consuming to them that they couldn't stop. And then as we continue on, um, even in verse 23, it, it says, the guy that was about 40 years old that had been lame, he's still standing there. He's like evidence of the power of God and the ministry of these men. So th this just continues on. So now Peter and John, they go back, and they go back to their community or to their people, <laughs> or peeps, I don't get that part, but uh, they, they go back to their church, and they say, guys, you know what happened? They hauled us in. Oh, man, did they threaten us. I mean, oh, they put it to us and told us to stop, and you know what we said? <laughs> We're not stopping. We're going to keep preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the church starts to pray. They gather together, and in their prayer, they start quoting the Old Testament scriptures, and in essence, they're saying, God, you're so great that none of what they say matters because you are far beyond that. And then they pray, and they continue praying. They ask God to give them, Peter and John, and the church boldness as they share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I read that, and I think, how did they need boldness? These guys already stood in the face of the religious leaders and said, we're not backing down. We did it in the name and the power of Jesus, who you crucified. You talk about boldness, and then the church says, we're going to pray for more boldness for these guys. You know, whenever our missionaries are in danger, we want to pray for safety, right? I mean, I, I want our missionaries to be safe. But very few people had opportunity to come before the priest the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees, and share the gospel. And Peter and John had an opportunity that few believers would have ever had, 
And the church says, we need to pray for more boldness to continue. And like in verse 31, that verse says, and when they prayed, the place was shaken. Literally shaken. And God said to the people there, just in in this sign, in that the church was shaken, that I am here with you. I'm in your presence. I hear your prayers and I acknowledge them. I am your God. And then it says they were filled with the Spirit. Look, I just had Thanksgiving dinner. I can't eat like I used to, okay? I mean, we had a table full of stuff. I was just going to have so much. I was going to, I could barely get a sample of everything on the table, and I was full. Well, pretty close to full. I wanted to make sure I was full, so there was this uh, Oreo cookie dessert, and I had that just to make sure I was full, and then I had a little bit of um, pumpkin pie because I wanted to make sure I was really full, and then I had some apple pie after that because I wanted to kind of do my own test on that. I was full. There was no more room in me, and now this church is full, consumed with the Holy Spirit, filled up with Him for all that they could be, And then, you know what it says? They boldly spoke the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is where the church is at, at this time in the passage. And now we're going to pick it up, okay? So where does this church go from here? Well, Clint made me a little bit nervous when he started sharing. I thought, hey, buddy, don't steal my thunder. You'll get your turn later. <laughs> but he was okay, all right? So where are we, at, where, where are we now? Verse 32. And the multitude, okay, let's stop there a minute. In chapter 2, there's 3,000 people. In chapter 4, there's 5,000 people that come to Jesus Christ. And now they've been speaking the gospel boldly since since verse 31. You can't even number the believers anymore. Now, when they describe, it's just, it's the multitude of people that were there. So the gospel is spreading like crazy. The multitude of those that believed were of one heart and of one soul. You know, I kept reading and studying and trying to figure out what one heart and one soul was. And actually, the simplest explanation I found seemed to sum it up the best. It was to be attached to the same thing. This church was all attached to the same thing. They were attached to a resurrected Savior. This was their their common bond, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit of God. This was a church that was united in what they were doing. They were of one heart and of one soul. We're of one mind. You know, I think part of what happened here also was when the, religious, when the religious leaders said, you stop preaching the gospel or else and threatened them, I would say that the external pressure drove them together as they shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think it contributed to their oneness. Um, when there was this physical threat, I think the believers gathered together and encouraged one another to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Envision this, okay? I'm not adding to Scripture. Envision this. Somebody comes to church Sunday, and they share how they shared the gospel of a resurrected Savior. Somebody else says, I could do that. 
And together they start sharing and they encourage one another and it brought a oneness to them that could have never been. Even uh, thinking about Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph at the end of his story of everything that happened, he says, you know what? What man meant for evil, God meant for good. And in the same way that these religious leaders said, hey, you can't preach the resurrected Savior anymore, they said what they meant for evil is going to be for our good and that we're united as one church. Um, This is a church driven by how great God is. They never lost sight of the resurrected Savior. They acknowledged the power of prayer. They're filled with the Spirit. They had a bold witness, and they were united as one. Listen, even this uniting as one was an answer to prayer. It was Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17, verse 21, where Jesus prays and he says, my prayer for all of them is that they will be one. And what kind of oneness is he talking about here? He says, just as you and I are one, Father, that is just as you are in me and I am in you, so they will be one in us and the world will believe you sent me. Listen, the Father and the Son are one in that they want to bring glory to the Father. They're one in that their mission, their goal is to see lost men become redeemed. The Father and Son are one in truth and in holiness and in love, and this was the church of God. And the result is that the world would believe. Listen, this kind of a oneness that Jesus prayed about brings the community looks, and they say, what's different about that church? What's going on there? There's something about it that is so different that the community wonders what's going on, and the world will believe that you sent me when they see this oneness that was in Jesus Christ. So then I started thinking, well, what destroys oneness? Okay, like, I like to say like the word church split. You know, you can Google anything these days. And there are all kinds of things that cause problems and divisions and all of that. But if I could narrow it down to one thing that would destroy oneness in a church, it's pride. It's when it comes to a ministry, it's got to be my way. It's got to be my plan, my time, my goal. And church, I'm not saying that we should never have an opinion or share, but it's not about pride and it's not about me. It's about knowing Christ and making him known. Skip with me over to verse 33, and we'll come back to 32 a little bit here. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. With great power. Okay, so let me tell you my great power. Back when my son John was about seven, eight, nine, and his little cousin Tim Hurley would be at my house, we would always wrestle, and I could always whoop him. And we even had a Hulk Hogan doll. And we threw that in them. Yeah, you guys knew Hulk. All right, so even the Hulk Hogan. And I could whip those, those two big tough kids. <laughs> I would whip them and Hulk Hogan. And then I would ask them, who's the strongest guy around? And they'd tell me I was, except for Tim sometimes. Then he got to where Larry was stronger than me. But for a long time, I was the strongest, most powerful guy that they could envision. 
And yet now the church, I'm nothing compared to this, but the church now has great power. In Acts 1.8 it says, you will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. In verse 29, they prayed for power. And now in verse 33, they have great power as they present the resurrected Savior. And many, many people are coming to know Jesus Christ. Listen, the resurrection of Jesus was an offense to many people. And as we share the gospel even today, some people will be offended by talking about a resurrected Savior. Or they may be offended with other parts of the gospel, as you would explain that that we all have sinned, or that we're all lost, or bound for eternity without Christ, without knowing Him. Listen, the gospel can be offensive. We don't need to share it in an offensive manner, but the truth, we need to always be sharing the whole gospel of Jesus Christ. What were the apostles going to do? What were John and Peter going to do? Not talk about a resurrected Savior? How could they share newness of life in a change if we didn't have a resurrected Savior? Um, So we cannot compromise the gospel, but sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ will, to some, be an offense. And then look at uh, another part of verse 33. And great grace was upon them. And I would just say this about grace, and maybe instead of the word grace, we could use favor, but a church of unity and a church of evangelism was finding great favor with God. And I would strive for our church to be that kind of a church. But in the midst of all this excitement that's happening, seeing God at work, now comes a crisis or a problem. Um, Passover had just taken place. And the town was busy. It was packed. Um, it was tulip time there. Um, you know, I don't even want to go to Holland during tulip time, but I'm a wimp at the wheel, okay? I don't like driving in traffic. Uh, for me, traffic is when I'm in Borculo and there's more than two cars at the four-way stop. That's kind of busy. Um, but Passover had just taken place not too long ago. And people were at Passover, and they heard about the gospel of a resurrected Savior And rather than go back home, they wanted to stay and to learn more about this Jesus. And so they hung around to see what was going on. And so here are people that need to be cared for. Also, some persecution was starting here. Some people may have been uh, may have lost their homes because of their, their stand for Jesus Christ or, be, or for sharing the resurrected Savior with somebody. They may have lost some of their possessions or property, and there was great need in the church. And so now the church stands up and begins helping them. So how does a praying, spirit-filled, bold, united church help people? Well, in verse 33 there, it says, in 32, it says they had all these things in common. Well, oh, so it seems like every commentary I read talked about either communal living or communism. They had all things in common. But those aren't correct because everyone shared willingly. No one had to sell their home. No one had to give anything. Um, it was not required. There was no membership required. This was only for a short time. Um, it did not continue on. The church was being persecuted. This was a short time. Um, and so, and not all of their property had to be, was sold. Nobody had to sell. 
And even all of it did not have to be sold. Um, even evidence of that is in Acts chapter 12, uh, verse 12. Mary still has her house. Peter gets out of jail. The chains fell off. And he goes to her house where they're praying. She had a house. She didn't sell her house. So it wasn't required for everyone to sell. But what was happening was people were beginning to give. And they were giving sacrificially. Um, Actually, let's read just a little bit farther here. Let's, um, verse 34. Neither was there among them any that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold, and they laid them down at the apostles' feet and distributed them unto every man, according as he had need. So you're thinking to yourself, well, we got that covered. We got a benevolent fund. Yes, we do. Here's the part I like, and the part I was challenged, okay? And I'll be very honest with you morning, this morning. When it comes to a benevolent fund, I probably give a token amount and not sacrificially. In fact, let me teach you how to give to the benevolent fund you take the ones and you fold them in like this. And then you take this one and fold it in like this. And then you maybe do another little bend here and you drop it in there. Now I've given, but I only gave $1. <laughs> All right? We kind of mask, I think, what we want to do. I'm, I'm not giving so you can see it, but I'm giving a token amount. And I want to just give this little bit. And here this church was giving sacrificially. They gave everything they were giving beyond their surplus. Um, you know, I could empty my wallet into the benevolent fund, but that still isn't my surplus. We don't have a lot, do we? <laughs> Not a lot of surplus, but look, they were selling their houses and, and, and giving up their stuff. They were giving up some of their future or their security. Um, they were giving of themselves completely so that other believers could have sufficient Oh, this is so uncomfortable when you talk about money. It's like, are we going to end up with having to sell our houses? And I was thinking about that. I thought, no, but if everybody here sold their golf clubs, because I don't golf, that, that would be a really good thing. Um, and we'd have more for our benevolent fund. And understand this, okay? There was great, great financial need at this time. All right? But, all right, so let's shift this a little bit. I love this church in Jerusalem. Because people were looking for opportunity and they were looking for ways to be a part of the solution. And I think that we can accurately from Scripture take this beyond just the financial. We have a lot of need in our own church. And as believers, we should all be looking for need within our church. We have those who are sick, uh, Jessica's back with us today. It's good to see you. You know what? Jessica's looking at a couple of more surgeries yet. In another week or so, she goes to the doctor, see how this went, and then schedule the next one. A couple of more surgeries coming. Um, Cherry Rogers was in the hospital not too long ago. Jay Raymond always stands up because people, a guy needs a new heart. Um, you know, we have those who are sick or needy. and it, How do we help them? How do we encourage them? Um, we have those who have lost loved ones. Christy Vandenberg's mom just went to be with the Lord. 
people are we sharing? Are we reaching out to them? We have people that are homebound. Are we doing our part to, to encourage them in the Lord and, and to be a part of that? There's so much need. Are we like the church looking for need and then trying to be part of the solution? Now, I know that um, in a lot of ways, we, we are standing up and we are meeting the need. Um, ladies groups, I know that they get together and they go visit uh, some of the uh, homebound ladies or shut-ins uh, and minister to them in song and word. Um, I know we have like Meal Train who tries to help people with stuff when, when there's an issue and just meals are even a help. But are we looking to be a part of the solution? You know, part of me just wishes I'd get a little feedback. <laughs> Can it be like Sunday school class? Anybody got anything they want to say? Um, I might be surprised if somebody... Oh, <laughs> I asked. Go ahead. <laughs> Um, if you could all hear her, she's, she was saying they, they were over their materialism before they were filled with the Spirit. So, um, yeah, we get, we get stuck in that. Here, let, let me remind you of something here. Have you read your church constitution lately? I mean, just for light reading. Got up beside the chair. All right. Article 11, Church Covenant of Fellowship. We covenant, and let me skip through a little bit, to contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, and the relief of the poor. We have committed as a church to help those who are poor. And then we further covenant to watch over one another in brotherly love, to remember each other in prayer, to aid each other in sickness and in distress or time of need. It's what we agreed to. Now, the covenant isn't Bible or Scripture, but I think I just read that it's based on Scripture, and that's our goal as a church. Okay, well, here's a problem. Everybody thinks somebody else is doing it. Let me read you a story. This is a story about four people named everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. And there was a great need, and everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Now, anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. And somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. And everybody thought that anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. And it ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. <laughs> do we just expect somebody else to do it? When somebody's hurting, do we just think, oh, I'm not the card-writing person. I'm not the meal-taking person. I'm not the hospital-visiting person. I I'm just not that guy. I think Scripture's calling all of us, this whole church. When they were walking with the Lord, the whole church was united in oneness to meet the needs of the church, and we're called to minister to one another. 
And then in verse 35, it says they laid it at the apostles' feet. They took all these funds. We're we're getting back to some of the, the, the passage here, to the material. They took these funds and they brought them to the apostles and they gave it to them. And I think there was good wisdom, I I think. I agree with Scripture. There was good wisdom in it, okay? Um, You may give to whomever you choose. I would never deny that. Um, I'm sitting in the Myers parking lot one day, and a guy came up to me and asked if he could have money. And I said, no. (laughs) Uh, I felt really bad about that. And so I quick ran and caught up to him, and I said, but I'll take you to Wendy's, and I'll buy you anything you want to eat. So, so I'm not saying you can't do individually, but the wisdom here was the church brought it to the apostles and let them figure out where the real need was. Church, our deacons do that for us through, with our benevolent fund. When someone comes to church and they say, hey, I need $100, they don't just go, oh, okay, and write them out a check from the church. Uh, they evaluate the situation and see where the need is or what caused the need, or how that happened. Um, we get people that come walking into our church building here and are asking for money or gas cards. And our pastors sit down with them and evaluate the need after they share the gospel, um, which I'm sure comes first, and they help evaluate the need. There are people that are just professional, go to church, get a gas card kind of people and can just live on that. And so we evaluate that. And so they brought it to the apostles, and they let the apostles sort it out. And there's wisdom in allowing the the church leadership to be involved here. Um, In... Verses 36 and 37, they mentioned specifically one man's name, Barnabas. And they weren't really drawing attention to him as much as just saying, folks, here's one guy. L- let me just tell you. Here, here, here's Barnabas. And he had a piece of property and he sold it. And he gave it to the church and we're so grateful for people like that. Okay? But now I just want to tell you a little something about Barnabas. I thought this was so interesting. As you keep reading through the book of Acts, and whoever gets Acts chapter 11, I don't mean to steal any of your thunder, but Barnabas has now moved over to Antioch. There's been persecution in Jerusalem, and the believers are leaving there, and they're going to Antioch, and they're being a great witness for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And people are coming to know him. In fact, the Bible says even Gentiles are coming to know the resurrected Savior. And then Barnabas goes to Antioch, and he meets Saul, who we would know later as Paul. And he stays there for a year and teaches with him. Now, some time has elapsed between chapter 4 and verse 11. Um, I can't tell you how many years. But right now, okay, so from Acts 11, looking back, in, in, in Acts chapter 11, oh, let me get straightened out here. In Acts chapter 11, it's telling us there's a problem going on in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, the church that helped everybody else is having a problem right now because the entire Roman Empire is having a drought and there's a shortage of food. And in Acts chapter 11, the church gathers up funds and 
and supplies, and it says everyone gave as much as they could. And Barnabas gets to take all of this from Antioch back to Jerusalem. Can you imagine the believers in Antioch as they're enjoying some goodness and they're saying, man, it's tough back in Jerusalem. And I remember back then, we were giving stuff to people that had need and now they're in need. And so now funds are going back. And Barnabas, a guy that sold and gave his stuff away, gets to bring it to him. And I, I would refer you back to Scripture here where in verse 33, great grace or favor was upon them all. God still was showing great grace and favor to the church in Jerusalem for the way they had responded to the need at that time. When I first started reading this passage and studying it, my first thought was, that's church. I thought, I want to go to that church. I, I honestly, I just got stuck. I, I, shortly after I studied it, I said to Gwen, a sermon title, that's a church. Because we have such an example here. This was a brand new church. I don't think they had been instructed to give. I don't think anybody told them to give. They didn't have an example to give. This church just looked at need and said, we can be a part of the solution. And they were thrilled to do it. And I just, man, that's a church. And I want to remind you one more time too, though. It wasn't what they did. It's why they did it. They did it to honor God. They were a church that prayed. They were a church that was filled with the Spirit. They were a church that spoke boldly the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were a church that was one, attached to the risen Savior. That's why they did what they did. They couldn't help but respond to God for all that he had done for them. Church, we do well. I want us to be this kind of a church that not only sees a problem, looks for a problem, but wants to be part of the solution. And this church found great favor in God's eyes. Thank you.